1: In 1992, two masked gunmen broke into this home on the Tyandega Mohawk Territory in Canada. The motive was robbery, but there was a struggle. Shots were fired, leaving 54-year-old Ward Maracle critically injured. It took solid police investigation and some fancy footwork to identify the perpetrators. Tayan Mohawk Territory is a small community about two hours east of Toronto, Canada. The territory was founded over 200 years ago when the Mohawk moved here from upstate New York. The homes and landscape of the area are no different from any other North American community, but the sense of family among the Mohawk is especially strong. It doesn't appear
2: to be any different than anywhere else in Canada or the US uh, in what I would call, um, for lack of a better term, mainstream culture. Um, but like I say, the difference is, is in the people.
3: In this community, it, it's, there's a lot of blood family. But even if you're not related, you know everybody pretty close. So it, it's like being family.
1: Ward and Diana Maracle were respected members of the community. Ward's Gas Bar, the Miracle's business, a gas station with a restaurant attached, had always been a prosperous business. At night, they also operated a check cashing service from their home for people who didn't have an ATM card. Everybody knows Ward and Diane, uh,
2: the business there as well, Um, have contact with them.
1: They're good people. At Christmas time, residents of the reserve celebrate the holiday just like any other community, with Santa Claus, Christmas lights, and prayer. But in the early morning hours of December 30th, 1992, the holiday spirit of the community was shattered. Just before dawn, two masked gunmen broke into the Miracle's home.
3: Ward, we're coming to see you.
1: They went upstairs, woke Ward and Diana, and demanded money. One was holding a 22 caliber pistol, the other a piece of wood.
0: Just shut up and give me the money.
1: Ward resisted. Shots rang out. By the time it was over, ward had been shot 3 times. The second perpetrator took Diana downstairs. Fearing for her life, Diana handed over the money they had on hand, $10,000 in cash. And the intruders quickly fled. Uh,
2: we've got a shooting down here on the reserve. We don't need an ambulance. Please hurry.
1: Ward Maracle was rushed to the hospital with a bullet wound to his head. He underwent emergency surgery. Most wounds to the head are fatal. Since the gunmen wore masks, all Diana could tell police was that the assailants made their getaway in a red car. A few miles down the road, police found the two masks used in the robbery. One was a wool ski mask, the other a rubber Halloween mask. Inside the Miracle's home, police found three shell casings which were collected for analysis.
3: In this case, I believe there were 22 short caliber. The fact they are out on the ground would indicate that more than likely a semi-automatic pistol, as opposed to a revolver, was used.
1: Since the stairs had no carpet and with snow outside, Investigators suspected that the perpetrator's wet feet might have left latent shoe impressions on the stairs. The stairs were dusted with fingerprint powder. And immediately, a clear impression of a running shoe was evident. Outside the house, forensic experts found a trail of evidence in the snow, which they hoped would lead them to the perpetrator's.
0: That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: During the Christmas holidays in 1992, residents of the Tyandonega Mohawk Territory learned the terrible news that one of their most prominent citizens, Ward Maracle, had been the victim of a senseless shooting. There is very little violent crime in this small community of 2,600 people. Shock initially that something of, of
2: this magnitude could happen in a community such as this. Just take it easy.
1: Ward Maracle was shot three times by a 22 caliber pistol. One of the bullets entered his head. But he was fortunate. He survived. But the injury would leave him permanently disabled. Forensic scientist Jim Eady inspected the crime scene. He noticed a piece of wood on the kitchen table. Diana Miracle told police one of the perpetrators held the wood in his hand during the robbery. When Edie walked outside, on the side of the house, he found a wooden sawhorse with one of the legs missing. It appeared that the perpetrators took the leg from the sawhorse and used it to break through the front door. Next to the sawhorse, clearly visible in the bright December sunshine, was a footprint in the snow.
2: And when I looked, I could see footprints in the area of the sawhorse. I was certain that somebody had gone back behind the house and got the sawhorse and ripped a leg off. There was a potential piece of very
1: important evidence. JIM EADY REALIZED HE HAD TO ACT QUICKLY BEFORE THE SNOW MELTED AND BEFORE ANYONE ELSE WALKED THROUGH THE CRIME SCENE. His first order of business was to photograph the footprints. These stills would be important, especially if he was unable to make a cast of the footprint. He then rushed to his truck and looked for materials to make a mold. There are a number of techniques for capturing a footprint impression in the snow. If you choose the wrong one, the impression could be lost forever.
2: Snow presents interesting problems because if you use conventional casting materials, such as dental plaster, it's really very heavy. Dental plaster is, is hardens to stone. And if you pour it into snow, it tends
1: to collapse the footprint because of the weight. Detective Edie decided on a technique called sulfur casting. He took a small burner and a pot and heated the powdered sulfur takes about 15 minutes before it melts into a thick brown liquid. It's then cooled to the point above crystallization. As it poured into the snow, the sulfur recrystallizes immediately and hardens, retaining the important details needed for identification. The impression was from a pair of Nike Air sneakers size 8. The shoe was relatively new, with very little wear. In the impression were some important clues about the perpetrator, details called accidental characteristics.
2: And the part of the shoe that's going to be rubbing against the road and against the sidewalk and that has those accidental characteristics that we're going to be looking for,
1: Edie noticed three small cuts all in a row on the sole, as if the wearer had stepped on a small piece of wire. In awe, Jim Edie identified 10 accidental characteristics in the shoe impression. These would distinguish this particular shoe from the thousands of other Nike Air Size 8 running shoes that were in circulation. Not surprisingly... The shoe impression in the snow matched the shoe print on the wooden steps inside the home.
2: The difficulty is, unlike fingerprints, which can be searched on a computer and identified, in the case of uh, bullet casings or shoe prints, you need a suspect.
1: But finding a suspect would not be easy. The robbery and shooting of Ward Maracle on the Tyandonega Mohawk Reserve was widely covered by the media in the surrounding areas. Two days after the shooting, an anonymous telephone call suggested police look into the whereabouts of Peter Benedict and Frank Lanoue in the early morning hours of December 30th. Both men were 21 years old. Both had criminal records. Benedict lived in Cornwall, which is about an hour's drive from the reserve. Police had no fixed address for Lanoue. Police went to Peter Benedict's apartment armed with a search warrant. Outside Benedict's apartment, police noticed a red car, similar to the one Diana Merkel identified as the getaway car. Peter Benedict denied any involvement in the crime, and said he didn't know where franklin knew was inside benedict's apartment police found a 22 caliber pistol the same caliber used in the shooting they also found a number of pairs of running shoes but none were the nike air model size 8 like the impressions found at the crime scene police also found $2500 in cash and Benedict was wearing what looked to be a very expensive ring. In Benedict's bedroom, police found a receipt for the ring. It was purchased on December 31st, just hours after the robbery at the Miracle's home. The ring was purchased with $1,100 in cash from a jewelry store in Ottawa.
3: Uh, We went out to the car, and we searched the vehicle after that. And in the trunk, uh, I found an Aldo shoe box. So I'm thinking, well, Aldo shoe box, brand new running shoes, brand new ring. I'm going to Ottawa, because there has to be a story to be told in Ottawa. And I wanted to hear the story. Once he
1: got to the mall, Rick Myers discovered that there were a number of shoe stores in the mall. He patiently visited each one, asking store employees if they recognized Benedict or Lanou as a recent customer. The last store that he visited was a footlocker, and he got a break. I think he came in a couple days ago, actually. The store clerk recognized Peter Benedict from the mug shot. I think he threw a He said Benedict bought a pair of running shoes just a few days earlier. And he recalled that Benedict wore the new shoes out of the store and left his old pair behind
3: just simply gave up the old ones for garbage and just wore his new ones home. I asked if he would check to see if the old ones were still around. He told me that no, the garbage had gone out the Friday. Um, I was insistent that he go and, and recheck, because it's always good to recheck everything, particularly when you're so close in this type of investigation and getting something that you really want. Fortunately for investigators,
1: the trash hadn't been removed from the back room. And in the trash bin, the clerk found the sneakers Benedict left behind. They were size 8 Nike air charcoal high-top basketball shoes. But were they the ones worn to the crime scene? When Jim Eady analyzed the shoes from the trash bin, he discovered the shoe had 10 accidental characteristics which were in the same location, the same shape and size as those found on the shoe impression in the snow and on the steps. Investigators now knew that Peter Benedict took part in the robbery.
2: Okay, here we are,
1: But was he the shooter? And where was Frank LaNeue? Could the mask somehow identify who pulled the trigger? Within a week of the robbery and shooting of Ward Maracle on the Tyondanaga Mohawk Reserve in Canada, police had two suspects, Peter Benedict and Frank Lanou. Peter Benedict was already in custody, and Frank voluntarily came into police headquarters for questioning. Both denied any involvement in the crime. But the evidence against Peter Benedict was mounting quickly. The shoes he left at the shoe store were positively identified as the shoes which left the print on the Maracle Stairway and in the snow print outside their home. Next, Benedict's 22 caliber gun was tested by ballistics. The bullets recovered from Ward Maracle in the operating room were too badly damaged for forensic analysis.
3: 22s, when they hit bone on, on headshots, are usually uh, useless, they're projectiles. They, they'll break up very, very badly.
1: So investigators used the spent shell casings found in the Miracle's home for comparison. Benedict's gun was test fired in the ballistics laboratory. The act of pulling a trigger causes the firing pin to strike the primer, which ignites the powder, propelling the bullet through the barrel. Simultaneously, the spent shell casing is pushed back with equal force. Just as the bullet is marked by its passage through the barrel, so is the shell as it comes into contact with the metal surfaces of the weapon's firing and loading mechanisms. Firing pin impressions are as unique as a fingerprint. The firing pin impressions on the shell casings test fired from Benedict's gun were identical to the impressions on the three shell
3: casings found
1: inside the Maracle's
3: home. What I saw and my predecessor saw, whom I trained, uh, indicated to us, yes, those cartridge cases were fired in that gun and no other.
1: The money found in Peter Benedict's apartment had numbers written by hand on the bundles. They matched Diana Maracle's handwriting. Not surprisingly, inside Benedict's car on the driver's side were Peter Benedict's fingerprints. But on the passenger side were Frank Lanoue's. The last challenge for investigators was to discover which one of these two suspects was the shooter. Diana Maracle said the gunman was wearing the wool ski mask. The man in the rubber mask held the piece of wood. I'll take you to Scientists were able to identify traces of saliva and mucus inside the masks, and from that, They were able to generate a DNA profile of the individuals who wore each mask. When police compared the DNA of Frank Lanou and Peter Benedict, they discovered that Peter Benedict's DNA was inside the rubber mask and that Frank Lanou's DNA was inside the wool mask. This identified Frank Lanou as the shooter. When Peter Benedict and Frank Lanou learned about the overwhelming forensic evidence against them, they both pleaded guilty to aggravated assault and robbery. They were each sentenced to six years in prison. Ward Maracle eventually recovered from his injuries after a long and difficult rehabilitation. To this day, Ward and Diana Maracle refused to talk about what happened in the early morning hours of December thirtieth, 1992.
3: It was a great case. Uh, it was a classic, you know. Um, one of uh, the many highlights of my career. I've, I enjoyed that case. It was a, a very exciting day for me when I saw those running shoes come, come waltzing out from behind the, the back room.
2: I believe that the shoe print evidence that we were working with was very strong evidence uh, and um, it was very strong evidence at the preliminary hearing and um, and I think, uh, I feel like I'm bragging. <laughs>